Medic! What's up, everybody? Brand new podcast. This one's going to be on situational awareness. When I did the last episode, the So You've Been Ambushed episode, as soon as I posted it, I realized I didn't even talk about situational awareness. Um, And so I figured, you know what? Now's a good time. The old social media was a little slow this week, so it becomes another con ed piece for you guys. So let's get into it. Situational awareness. Simple working definition. Being aware of and paying attention to what's going on around you. And, you know, typical people think, well, I'm a pretty observant person. Um, You know, we do this how? You know, scan the environment and, you know, we look for, you get a sense of danger as well as opportunity. And, you know, really situational awareness is being able to kind of go about your normal activity while paying attention while you're not really appearing to pay attention. And situational awareness or awareness in general, it's a conscious decision that we have to make. So where does that come from? We got to talk about baselines and anomalies. And, you know, the human brain is a pretty, pretty amazing organ, right? So once we make that conscious decision or that choice to pay attention, our reticular activating system kind of takes over. And RAS is really just a, a big diffuse network of nerve pathways in the brainstem. And it connects the, the spinal cord, the cerebrum, the cerebellum, and it really just mediates the overall level of consciousness. And it also has a bunch of filters that kind of turn on and off that help us pay attention. It filters out some of the chatter um, and it helps you focus. Because if it didn't have those filters, you know, your your brain would explode. It would be so much input, um, you know. And really, again, unless you're visually impaired, um, we take in so much of our information from the environment through uh, our sense of sight. So... When you make that conscious decision to say, all right, it's time to pay attention. I really need to be aware of what's happening in my surroundings. You know, it's like saying to yourself, listen, brain, we need to pay attention. And to pay att- and in this case, I want to find in the crowd or just our day to day, I'm looking for a woman wearing a green coat. And your brain says, okay, got it. It's going to, as you look around the environment, you're looking for that. And the RAS is filtering out the garbage. It's really being attentive. And then when you find her, the RAS pretty much says to you, woman, check, green coat, check, what's next? So what's a baseline? Um, a baseline is pretty simple. It's the norm. It's the status quo for the immediate environment that you're in, okay, that you're in, you find yourself in. So if, you know, you're a cop, firefighter, paramedic, EMT, whatever, you know, you have a call area, you have a coverage area, and you're, you know, the, that coverage area you know, might be made up of a, a large area, a small area, whatever. But you know the people, you know, in different areas, you know, what's the good part of town, what's the bad part of town, uh, you know, how people act in certain areas. So, you know, a good example would be like, you know, people from the west side, they might speak, act, stand, dress a certain way, as opposed to people who live in a different part of town, the east side or uptown, whatever. Um, and then, you know, you establish this norm by, you know, observation, exposure, experience, and judgment, and, and just being in that environment. You might not be, you know, you don't, you live in a certain spot, you know how people in your area, your neighborhood, you know, act, speak, dress, whatever. When you're working, you know, you can tell, you start picking up on differences in, in the different coverage area. So when you're able to establish, you know, what's normal, what's accepted, it becomes really easy to pick up on things that don't fit in. And that has a lot to do uh, with being situationally aware or just aware in general. You know, this is kind of like the entire basis for the Department of Homeland Security is if you see something, say something. You know, that, that whole program depends on people living in their normal environment 
to spot things that are out of place and and report them as you know possibly involved in terror activities and things like that and it goes way past you know unattended bag uh in the train station something like that this is really um you know how people behave uh, you know this this person doesn't fit in here not and it's not oh i haven't seen this guy around here before it could be that but it's this guy acts differently than everyone else in the area so you know another example on the law enforcement side you know 2 a.m in a high crime area you have some you know well off looking and again you're profiling you're stereotyping but again this is what you know if you've established a norm you have some you know well well dressed looking dude roll through the area in a high crime area at 2 a.m in like a nice car you know that's that piques your interest it doesn't belong it's not it's not normal for that area now could the guy be lost wrong turn off the highway absolutely but you know the good cop is going to sit there and go well how's he acting is he does he look anxious does he look agitated or does he look comfortable like he's been here a hundred times before and you know he's looking to buy some crack Okay, to, to the cop, you know, he doesn't fit in, and he might, you know, he might be jumping to the conclusion of, oh, this guy, you know, let's go arrest him. This is wrong. If it just starts out with, hey, this is wrong. This guy doesn't belong. This is out of place. At least he's got his attention focused on him, and he's a lot. That cop will be able to react a lot quicker um, should he get some more information that makes him think, hey, I have to act on that. So normalcy bias. Um, we're humans, and humans are creatures of habit, hands down. We love normal, and uh, liking normal uh, leads to some biases, specifically normalcy bias. And what that does is really causes people to underestimate the both the likelihood of a disaster and its possible effects because people believe that things will always function the way they're normally been functioning. So what does that mean? That means pe- you know people want things to be normal. People want that status quo. They want to, they, which also sometimes causes them to turn a blind eye to potential danger, uh, and they're not prepared for it. It's also a part of the brain filtering out things that are bad. Like, we don't want to believe bad things happen, so we just kind of filter that out and go, well, usually nothing bad happens, so if I just keep doing what I normally do, it won't really affect me. Well, it'll affect you. And the, really, the example is from the last episode. It's the standing in front of the door when you, when you show up to a house. You know, you knock, you've been told, stand to the side of the door, knock, announce, and you don't because for so many times, nothing bad has happened. Well, let's say you do that a thousand times, and on a thousand and one, as you're knocking, you hear something behind the door. It it gets your, your interest is peaked, and you're like, man, that didn't sound right, that didn't fit in, but you continue to stand in front of the door, uh, and, you know, and something bad happens. Whether, you know, you get the gunshot through the door or, you know, you, the person opens the door and attacks you or whatever. It's, you know, you're, you heard the thing that was out of place. You picked up on it and your brain was like, well, let's filter that out as I don't want something bad to happen. So I'm just going to pretend I didn't hear it or I won't be able to react to it. Our brain craves normal. Like I said, sometimes that it really, we talk ourselves out of safety. So something to be aware of, something to be aware of. Another thing is tunnel vision or, um, in the the situational awareness world, the term is focused attention. Straight up, it's the people who bury their face in their cell cell phones while they walk, and they you know you've seen those videos on the on the internet. People walk into the fountain, they walk into the glass door, they fall down steps, they fall into a hole in the sidewalk, and it's just just it's not a good thing. Uh, and that cell phone man in the twenty first century that is that is the biggest attention focuser ever. And then in you know the EMS world. 
you know, we teach tunnel vision. We don't, we don't want you to get tunnel vision. We don't want you to, you know, get sucked into to one thing on the scene. You should have a good global picture. But unfortunately, you know, you show up, you want to take care of the patient and your patient, you know, really demands that that focused attention you should be paying attention to them but at the same time you know you need to be able to you need to get to the point where you train your situational awareness that you can look around the scene and be aware you know you can position yourself that so that there's nothing between you and the door you have a good point of observation between the patient and the rest of the room or the or the wherever you happen to be you know a good example oh yeah like as we said the the selfies, the people taking selfies uh, in front of train tracks and not realizing how close they are and, you know, getting waffled by a train. So, you know, we really we really try and teach this, you know, it, but it is a, it's a learned technique. You, you have to make that conscious effort to to do it. So how do we do it? How do you develop situational awareness? Can't really talk about that without talking about the OODA loop and, and you know, its place in, in this uh, in this process. So OODA, uh, OODA stands for observe orient, decide, and act. And and what it is, is really, it's a learning system and a decision-making process. And it was developed by uh, an Air Force fighter pilot, Colonel John Boyd. And what it did is, or what it does, it allows pilots to quickly adapt to the rapidly changing situations in aerial combat. But what they found was, is you can apply this to pretty much any head-to-head type confrontation in in the world in life whether it's the business world competitive sports uh you know violent confrontation in a, in a parking lot uh or or military strategy so you know what uh we think that just you know being aware and paying attention is all situational awareness but there's there's a little more that goes into it so yeah john boyd he, he was a um air force fighter pilot and this guy was really he's really regarded as uh, one of the most brilliant military strategists out there, and uh, he got he he came up with this, and when he applied it, uh, he actually taught at the Air Force uh, Fighter Weapons School, and he he would teach this teach this decision making process, <clears throat> and it was an ongoing process, and it would really help these pilots. So what he would and even what he would do, I mean, he was so good at this, he would offer up forty dollars to any student who could beat him in aerial combat. He would always start at a position of disadvantage, and then using this process, he he never lost. This guy never paid out the forty bucks, um, and it, it earned him the nick the nickname. And he would do it within forty seconds, um, so it, it earned him the nickname Forty Second Boyd. He's got a bunch of other nicknames, but for this one, that's the most important. So, what did it do? If you've ever seen it or you've ever heard of it, you probably see a graphic. It's a closed loop, and it's got the words on it somewhere. Observe, orient, decide, and act. And that entire process, those four steps, um, the observe, orient, decide, and act, it's, you know, like I said, you can use it head-to-head competition, aerial combat. You can use it in business. What happens is if the person who can cycle through all four of those loops in the fastest amount of time and consecutively, because this is a continuous process, they're going to win. They're going to win that confrontation. They're going to win that debate. They're going to win whatever. And obviously, you know, the observe step is what people think is the situational awareness part of it. But it's not. It's really the second part, the orient. Um, that's what really developing situational awareness really involves. Because orientation tells us what we should look for when we're observing and then takes those observations and then it puts it into context so we know what to do with the information and that's going to help you to decide and then ultimately act reassess and then 
continue that loop. So that graphic people normally see, that normal loop, that's really the basic version. If you ever look up uh, John Boyd's detailed version of the OODA loop, it's a very big, uh, it's a very in-depth uh, graphic, and it talks, and it, it includes tons of like human behavior and psychology. Um, and I mean, there's been really good studies and papers, essays written on the OODA loop, but it's been scaled down, you know, to a nice digestible piece that everybody can use and understand quickly and be able to apply it. So observe plus orient, that really equals situational awareness. So how do we become better observer so that we can improve our situational awareness? And, you know, how should we orient ourselves so that we can observe the right things and then understand the context for what we're seeing? So you can't really talk about that without talking about uh, another another military guy, Colonel Jeff Cooper. He was a Marine, and he he's really regarded as the creator of what they call the modern technique of handgun shooting. And this guy was an expert on the use and the history of small arms. And he came up with a, a color code. It was a color code system. It really helped uh, warriors to gauge their mindset uh, in combat scenarios. And, the, and each color represents a person's potential state or a, of awareness and focus. In plenty of interviews, he always said that, you know, he really didn't invent this color system. He just applied it. He figured out a way to apply it to, uh, to warfare uh, and mindset. Mindset was a very big thing uh, with, with Jeff Cooper. And he came up with the color system. If there's a book out, his, one of his books, The Principles of Personal Defense, that's where he introduces it and applies it to, to gunfighting and, and mindset. So the color code, he, he went, it, was, it goes from white, the lowest level, all the way up to red, the highest level. Uh, and just to kind of put it in context, each color represents a, a person's potential state of awareness and focus. And he always said that for optimal situational awareness, that we should always live in in condition yellow and condition yellow it's really described as the as a relaxed alert state uh, there's no really specific threat situation but you have your head up it's on a swivel you're taking in your surroundings with all your senses because most people really associate situational awareness with just visual stimulation but you can also learn a lot about your particular environment and your scenario from the sounds or the lack thereof and even the smells of the environment so even though your sense your senses are heightened in condition yellow, it's really important to be relaxed. And if you can be relaxed and you adopt that that calm demeanor, uh, you don't really bring unnecessary attention to yourself. So if you kind of you know look antsy and your head's you know swiveling back and forth, you're looking over your shoulder, people are going to notice that. But if you just kind of really calm and you're just looking around, just kind of calmly scanning your environment, people don't really notice what you're doing. And then also, you know, being relaxed, it really ensures that you maintain an open focus. And that allows you to take in way more information about what's going on around you. When, when we get nervous or we get stressed, our attention really narrows and it causes that, that tunnel vision. And that's just that honestly, you're, you're trying to fight that fight or flight syndrome. So as you get nervous, you're trying to think, I need to focus on my one thing that's going to hurt me. Do I need to fight it or do I need to flee? So, you know, having that narrow focus, that's going to cause us to miss important details in the, in the uh, environment. So to put it back in context, like uh, condition white, uh, unprepared, really not ready to take action. If you're attacked when you're in condition white, you're probably going to die unless your, your opponent is just an idiot. They're totally inept. And then 
there's condition yellow, like we said, relaxed alert, you know, good situational awareness, taking in information, and then orange, you know, specific alert to the probable danger, you're ready to take action, and then the very top of it is condition red, action mode. Uh, you're totally committed to the emergency at hand. It's you know, it's time to do work. It's time to do whatever, fight, flee, whatever. And then over the years, uh, people have added condition black, and you know that's system overload, breakdown of physical and mental performance. Fine motor skills are gone. You need to really have things committed to muscle memory, especially in the world of of gunfighting and personal defense. When Jeff Cooper came up with a color, the color code, uh, he you know for him as a when he was a marine uh, in the I believe the forties, uh, condition black was active combat, like he was engaged in combat. He actually didn't put that in there. He he dumped that down to action mode, totally committed to the emergency, but not quite fighting because there's always something he really wanted you to have a way out. And then if you did have to fight, it was just, it was time to fight. So a couple things we can do to become a better observer, you know, put yourself in a position for optimal observation, uh, some gamification, and mastering memorization. So putting yourself in a position of optimal observation, um, you know, you really need to be able to actively observe as much of your surroundings as possible. So, you know, just to, you know, to put it again in perspective and context, if you're, you know, in a movie theater or a restaurant, don't sit with your back to the door, right? So that way you can see trouble coming and, you know, you've made, you can also see the exit. You can determine where the other exits are. You have an idea on how to get out uh, if trouble comes through the door. And it kind of goes back to the other episode. And so you've been ambushed, you know, better to surprise than be surprised. So it's good to kind of have an idea. You know, if you're at a restaurant, but again, you know, it's based on, you know, we don't always have the luxury of being able to pick the most optimal point in the room. If you're out and about, you know, the waitress, you tell the waitress, you're like, I want to sit here. And she's like, well, sorry, someone's already sitting there. Here's your table. You pick the seat at the table that gives you the best view of the room and the exits and the choke points and whatever. If you're on a call, you, you do get to position yourself sometime, most of the time. You know, I want to be able to see who comes through the door or who else is in the house or how, you know, again, simple principle of don't let it, don't put anything between you and the exit. Um, move your bag out of the way, you know, move, move, move furniture, uh, to, you know, to facilitate egress, whatever you need to do. Uh, or, you know, again, in context, we can't always do that all of the time. So gamification, it really comes back to playing mind games with yourself. Um, just like the example for like turning on the reticular activating system, you know, tell, you've got to actively tell your brain, let's look for this certain make and model of car while you're sitting in traffic, instead of checking your email or your text message real quick, you know, that way your brain stays turned on your situation, you know, your situational, you're training your situational awareness, 60 seconds sitting at the red light. Look for people, you know, if you're in a crowd, look for people with a certain color of clothing or a certain article of clothing. I want to see someone with a red hat, the woman with the green jacket. Um, you know, I want to look for, you know, a, an adult with two male children, you know, you're, you actively have to look for that. And this, this also helps the, the other part of it, uh, the mastering memorization. And that's really simple. You know, you can do things like memorize strings of numbers, use a deck of playing cards, memorize license plates. Um, there's plenty of, plenty of books and videos out there, how to do that. Uh, and it really, it's also, you know, I lump this into, um, you know, helping with recall as well. Uh, how many times have you been on a call, you know, to something out of place and you ask your partner about it afterwards and they're like, man, I have no idea what you're talking about. And, uh, I've, a, I have a pretty good, pretty good war story for that one. Um, one night we were, uh, 
just doing normal, regular work shift, except we had a third rider, and it wasn't a normal paramedic student or EMT student. It was a uh, peds doc from uh, from the local the local trauma center, and uh, I don't I you know I really have no idea why she was riding, but her entire goal for twelve hours was to start an IV line, and I I really I still don't know why that was. Maybe because she hadn't done it, or it's not something she normally does. I don't know. You know, we're like, yeah, great. You know, give her the give her the basic safety brief and where some things are on the truck, and you know how we operate on a call, and off we went. And uh, again, there's some 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 clarification to this story. This doc, she was she was pretty attractive, and my partner my partner was pretty interested in her, and that plays a big role in in the rest of the story. So we get hit out, we get tapped out for a diabetic call, no big deal. West side of town, and again for context, the west side of town, lower socioeconomic area, um, usually sicker people, chronic disease, chronic illness. That uh, sometimes you know these are the people who who uh, are a lot of Medicaid patients, and they play the what meds can I. Uh, get filled this month since I only have limited income or whatever. And again, not that plays a role just because of the, the type of calls we typically run. Uh, I love the West Side because it pretty much reminds me of uh, some of the parts uh, it, right inside North Philadelphia, which is where I worked right before I moved down here. And uh, it really kept me from being homesick. I love that side of town. Those are those are my people. So we go out. Uh, it's not an address that I, I, I recognize as a you know frequent access or a pre-hospital care. And uh, not that it matters. You know, it's a diabetic. Let's just go do this. And you know we hop in. We get in there. It's a it's double wide trailer. Uh, and again, for context, it's just because it's a small area to work in. And if you've never worked inside of a mobile home before, you know the way they're laid out. You have a, usually a main room and then a hallway that branches down. Bathrooms and bedrooms come off of that. And, you know, they're, they're just, they, they have their own challenges, uh, you know, especially when you start carrying in bags of gear and, and whatever else. So we walk in, there's a lady laying on the floor, middle-aged female. She's out, she's snoring, sounds like a dishwasher, uh, you know, with her snoring and her gurgling for you know, diabetic coma. Uh, there's a guy sitting on a couch. He seems disinterested, maybe because he, we just identify him as boyfriend. And, uh, you know, he's disinterested because, you know, this, this this young lady, she's a professional diabetic. It's not the first time it's happened. You know, he's like, business as usual, do your thing. And then there's some other guy. He's just a dude. I'm going to call him Mr. Personality. He is kind of sitting in a straight chair, guarding the hallway. Like, he's just looking straight ahead, doesn't really care that we're there. Um, he's, he looks like he's got a job to do and it's guard the hallway. Eh, it's out of place. I pick up on it. I keep an eye on him because I know the peds doc wants to do her IV. So my partner helps her out with it. She sticks twice, doesn't get it. He sticks twice, doesn't get it. The boyfriend's starting to get agitated, but the guy in the straight chair, he's just looking straight ahead, looking at us, doing his job, guarding the hallway. I got time to kind of take in the environment while they're working on the IV stick. I notice this guy hasn't moved, facial expression hasn't changed, boyfriend still seems disinterested. I also notice that on the coffee table from right near us where we're working, there is a loaded AR-15 mag uh, being used as a coaster, which, you know, that's cool. I like your decor. Um, but my, my brain went immediately to where's the rifle, okay? Or there's probably that rifle here. Okay, fine. I don't really feel like I'm in danger, but there's the potential. It's the South. It's America. It's probably a gun everywhere, knives everywhere, but just something to be aware of. My awareness was peaked. Um, the more the boyfriend gets agitated, like, man, how come you guys aren't getting this, you know, working 
as fast as normal, whatever. I kind of stepped in. It was my turn. I actually positioned myself so I could kind of watch everyone while I was doing the IV. And they don't get mad. Don't get judgy. But I had to start the IV in the top of this lady's foot. It worked. Uh, we gave her some dextrose. She woke up and she did the ritual thing. No, I don't want to go to the hospital. Uh, we tip, you know, do the do the thing. Hey, you know, keep an eye on your sugar. Try and figure out why it dropped. Eat your eat your peanut butter sandwich. Have a hamburger, whichever. Um, she refused, and off we went. You know, we packed up our stuff. We got our refusal, and off we go. Told my partners, I said, listen, why don't we go down the street and restock our bag because we used a bunch of stuff out of it. And they said, yeah, okay, sure, no problem. So we drive down the street, pull off into an empty lot, and we restock. And I said, hey, you know, it's pretty. Do you notice? Do you notice Mr. Personality in the corner there? And they were like oblivious to him. Like they only thought the boyfriend and, and the patient were in, in the front room. Uh, and then I said, hey, did you guys notice the, you know, the loaded AR mag sitting on the coffee table? And both of them were like, no. Now, I expected that from the doc because this is not her world. But my partner been doing EMS all way longer than I have, way longer. Um, but it was just it was things that it was just two things that just jumped out and they just did not seem, you know, they weren't right for that environment. Being able to recall that, pick up on that comes into that kind of, you know, I attribute it to, you know, good area, good position in the room where I was able to observe things, being able to memorize. And then, you know, really kind of prior to that gamification, you know, I established a normal for the environment and I saw things that, that kind of jumped out. You've got to know what you're looking for and then put that information into context so it has some meaning and then it becomes actionable. And that that orient step, that's really where that comes from. So there's kind of three things that play into that, establishing the baselines and the anomaly for that particular environment that you're in. And then human behavior plays into it. You know, Mr. Personality looking straight ahead. Um, like I could still see that guy sitting there um, and he was a big boy. And, and uh, even though there were three of us, I think we would have lost that fight. And especially when you add that, you know, the AR-15 rifle into that 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 equation, especially because I couldn't see it. I didn't know where it was. He probably did. Um, and then, you know, the third part is having plans of actions depending on your observations and then being able to, you know, put a plan into action. So you've got to establish a baseline wherever you go, whether you're a student in a in a scenario. You know, you kind of get that baseline with your lead in. They kind of set the stage for you. If you're out there working, cops are, are great at this. Uh, even the fire department. Fire department does a good job. Uh, EMS does a good job. You've got to be able to establish that baseline. And if you're listening to this and you think you're not good at it, you know, start. Start training yourself to do it. Start training yourself to do it. So some questions you you really need to ask yourself to establish that baseline is, what's normal in a given situation? And it's going to differ from person to person and from environment to environment that you find yourself in you know what is what is normal and then you've got to decide you know what is an anomaly and like i said anomalies are things that either don't happen that should or that do happen that shouldn't that's what directs our attention and that's you know we take in the surroundings and you know that's how we focus and then we that's really that's how you achieve that situational awareness so so your baseline some good questions asked for the baseline uh, or to establish a baseline. What's going on here? Uh, what's like the general mood of the place? Uh, what's the normal activity that I should expect here? 
how do most people behave here most of the time? So there could be some, you know, people who are outliers and kind of weirdos that look like they don't fit in, but they do, you know. And then there's really, out of those, you know, you've got those couple questions for your establishing a baseline. And then the anomaly question, there's only one, you know, what would cause someone or something to stand out? And that and that's it. That is, that is situational awareness. That's really going to help you become the better observer and orient to the the information that you're taking in there's a there's a really good well it's a i don't know about a good movie there's a movie from the late 90s with uh eddie murphy and michael rapaport and it's called it's a it's called metro and i think eddie murphy's like a hostage negotiator detective guy and michael rapaport wants to be like him and he's eddie murphy trains him there's a scene in the movie where eddie murphy pulls tells michael rapaport i want you to walk through this door and then just listen to what i say he makes him walk through. He makes him close his eyes and have him recall everything that he can, he that he can, and, you know. But he only gave him like maybe a second and a half before he told him to close his eyes. Okay, stop right there. Close your eyes. Okay. Now tell me what you see. I see a scumbag behind the counter with a sword off. There's a female hostage down in front of the cereal rack, and there's a special on toilet paper four for a dollar twenty-nine. Yeah, it's a really good clip because it, it really does illustrate, you know, good situational awareness. The and the and the the mastering of the memorization. So how does it all go together? Uh, observe plus orient equals situational awareness. So the, and, and in context with the OODA loop as a, as a system. So those who can observe and orient the fastest and the most consecutive times, they'll beat their opponent. No matter, like what I said, like I said, no matter if it's warfare, business, corporate, the corporate world, or competitive sports. So a lot of times when you hear somebody present OODA, um, that presenter will say you have to get inside your opponent's OODA loop to win. And, you know, that's that's true. Um, but, you know, everybody kind of looks at that. That's really a military strategy. You got to get inside the get inside their loop and you're and you're, and you're going to beat them. And, and I get it. Well, you know, you the way that you get in, in any point of it or any in any context, the way you get inside someone's OODA loop is you force your opponent to reorient, uh, which means like you either provide another piece of information that throws them off and it, it just causes them to have to, you know, reorient. They have to take in that information, use it in context and move um, or, or decide. And then, you know, you provide the rapidly changing environment and it causes them to have to take in the new information and then ha- and decide how to ultimately respond. So kind of in, in times of danger, you're causing them to reset their OODA loop. And, and that's really good because that might provide you that extra few seconds to get out of danger. And, and you're probably taught this in ENT school and you don't even know it. If you ever, maybe probably during the psych chapter or psych module, they would uh, kind of tell you, sometimes they would tell you, you know, come up, come up with a, a word. Like you have the safe word to like to tell your partner it's time to go. And then uh, there was another part where they would say, kind of yell something inappropriate or out of context where it would confuse the person who you thought was going to fight you or something. And they'd be like, what? And then while they were going, what? You would be able to escape. Um, So, you know, I I remember people saying, just yell the word cauliflower. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that's going to do, but I'll try it. But, um, you know, I probably mispronounced it under stress. I don't know. Um, So, you know, it might provide you that extra that extra couple of seconds to be able to to get out of there. Here's what I need you guys to do. Go forth and practice, practice, practice. Okay? Over time, this is going to become automatic. Um, You'll notice that it gets quicker. And then over time, you'll notice you're doing it without even 
really thinking about it. It'll become automatic. And it, it's just like anything else. You train to do a good assessment. You train to do an IV. You got to train your situational awareness. And it doesn't, it doesn't start and stop with like just being more observant. It's being more observant, how to become more observant and how to take in the information and what, what information should I be taking in? And then what do I do with it? That's really all I have, guys and girls. Uh, I do appreciate you stopping by to listen. I'm getting a lot of really good feedback still from you guys. Keep listening. Keep writing. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Got a bunch of uh, Medic Up podcasts coming up soon uh, after the uh, uh, probably one before the end of the year and uh, a couple really good ones coming up uh, after the first of the year. The late calls will still start keep going, uh, trying to get everything out every week. I'm always open to your suggestions. you You can contact me. Plenty of ways through either social media, YouTube, Instagram, all of it. I I look for all of it, the Facebook pages, all of it. So, uh, yeah, go forth and practice, practice, practice. And thanks for listening. And uh, I'll see you guys out there on the next one.